Hi, everyone. This is Bill McGlynn with the Recreational Aviation Foundation, the RAF. And this is our podcast. And I believe this is episode number 12 with Al Clayton, a native of Alaska and our state liaison, one of our two state liaisons in Alaska. And uh, I've asked Al to join us on this podcast because I think everybody could benefit from some of the work that Al has done in Alaska and some really exciting projects that have gone on there. But before we do that, Al, let everybody know a little bit about you. You're obviously a native of Alaska, um, but how did you get interested in flying? And, and let's, let's do a little background check here. Sure. Well, Bill, thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's, uh, it's great to talk about Alaska. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably, you know, one of many Alaskans who've had similar experiences, but some of our experiences are a little bit different than people have in what we call the lower, lower 48. So, uh, yeah, excited to, to talk about aviation, Alaska, and, and all, all the things that REF has been doing up here. Um, so, yeah, I was born in Seward, Alaska, coastal town, small, small little town named after Secretary of State Seward, who, who persuaded, uh, you know, the, the country to buy Alaska from Russia. My, my parents were moving back and forth between Seward and Anchorage, which is the big city. And way back in, you know, 1963, they decided Anchorage was becoming a, a crime infested, traffic ridden megalopolis with, you know, 100,000 people in it. So, so we moved off to still on the road system, but a, a, a tiny little town called Glen Allen. So Glen Allen is, is where I grew up. And Glen Allen is at the headwaters, more or less of the Copper River, which we I want to talk about a lot. And uh, so all my uh, growing up high school years, I'm looking across at these magical, big 16,000 foot mountains of the Wrangles. And, and we're eating Copper River red salmon. Like, you know, that's what the poor people around Glen Allen eat, uh, you know, all the time uh, because, well, the, the river's running right by us and we've got fish wheels and we've got different. <laughs> we're, we're so, um, so, so that's the environment. Um, aviation, you know, aviation is always part of rural Alaska. Uh, I remember you know, as, as a very young kid, my, my dad spent some time each year guiding, uh, guiding uh, hunters for an outfitter. The outfitter used horses. He also used a super cub on floats and wheels. So, you know, we, as a kid, we're going over there, we're helping load, uh, unload stuff that's going to go in a super cub and it's going to go off to the hunting camp. And my dad's getting in the back of a super cub to go out there and help guide these uh these rich hunters that are coming up to experience Alaska. And so, well, that's cool. I mean, wouldn't that be something to, to, to be able to go and experience that off, off wherever they're going on this magical day. Um, my first ride in an airplane was in a Cessna 182. Uh, one of these hunters that enjoyed my dad and, and came back up uh, from South Carolina, flew his 182 up. Uh, all the way just to goof off in Alaska. And so he had 
an extra seat. And I guess I maybe I was seven years old or something like that. And I was allowed to sit in the back and kind of look up over the window and look out. And oh my gosh, that was magic. And so about seven years old, I decided, you know, someday, somehow, it'd be wonderful to, to have wings. Um, the hook was set. The hook was set, you know, looking out the window at a, at a low altitude, and we're looking at moose. And of course, we've got all this topography up here in Alaska. You know, you've got it in Montana there too, but uh, ours is a special, special sort of uh, scene. Um, so, uh, well, I guess leaping forward, it took a long, long time uh, while I had no money and no prospects and um, in order to get a flight lesson. Uh, I, I went to college, um, went, to, uh, went to law school, and finally, after I was done with law school, my my dear wife, of course, has been patiently hearing me dreaming about about flying, and wouldn't it be nice? And oh, my my parents are are four hours away on the road, but it'd only take an hour to fly down and and meet them uh, there. And I should be a good son, and I should I should visit my parents more often. <laughs> so uh, so she gave me a a pilot's logbook uh, for Christmas, and uh, without any idea you know that's that's going to gobble up all of our money for the rest of our lives and uh so now you know we've got uh we have a, a 182 a Cessna 182 we've got a experimental PA18 uh have a one-third interest in a Cessna 170 and uh yeah I'm uh the the cub is on floats right now my son and I were just off to a remote lake where we're doing remote lake stuff building building stuff off the grid um and uh gosh it's just been a marvelous thing to have these tools to get around in alaska and help my family enjoy the the state and go so, go to all these wonderful places i mean that are almost unreachable in any, in any other form right in any other form of transportation the the lake that we went to is is not reachable not anyway uh except by airplane uh, or maybe a month-long slog through the tundra where you would be eaten by bears or mosquitoes or or both. <laughs> your, your carcass. Right. <laughs> it would be picked clean by one or the other. Oh, man. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, in Alaska, there's just so many places you can't, can't drive to, you can't boat to. Uh, the waterfalls are too, too tall. Um, yeah. And... Yeah, these these little remote lakes are, you know, we we enjoy fishing. We're fly fishers. We're rafters. We um, we just like to hike out in these remote places, and so all these things are available because of these marvelous machines that we have. Okay, now I know that anybody listening to this would ask this question almost immediately, especially females first. <laughs> what about the bears? <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, you know, bears, most in my experience, I've just met a lot of well-behaved bears. Uh, you know, they'll they'll come around and they'll, you know, maybe make some noise. But most of the time, they don't want to interact with you any more than you don't want to interact with them. 
and so, you know, we make noise when we're hiking around and, and uh, there have been times where, you know, the hairs bristled on the back of my neck, like, I mean, <laughs> where, where is this guy? And, and where he's, he's looking at me, I can feel it, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, and, and over the years, we, we carry bear protection, rifles, pistols, uh, bear spray, yeah. but I, I've never had an encounter where I had, you know, an angry bear. There you uh, go. For all those people that are worried about bears, there it is. Yeah. Al's been out there all his life. <laughs> He's <laughs> never had a bad bear encounter. So <laughs> you're more likely to get struck by lightning, as they say. Yeah, I, th I think you are. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, what, what, how old were you when you finally got your certificate? Oh, gosh, I was um, 32 years old. Oh, so that still wasn't bad, though. I mean, you, had, you you still were young enough that you could have a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we, we've got pictures of our, of our kids who are grown adults now, you know, yeah. out bouncing around in the backseat of a, a 172. Of course, the, the weight and balance was different then. Um, <laughs> and, you know, as they get they got bigger i'd have to make a shuttle sometimes with uh with a couple of the family members in that in that old 172 but um yeah uh gosh 30 30 plus years of of yeah. uh flying now yeah yeah okay now tell me how you got involved with the raf when when did that all happen well that is so it's a it was a financial thing actually believe it or not um i i built i, I developed an air strip, an air park out in McCarthy. Uh, all right. So, and you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer and so I'm worried about liability. And I thought, you know, uh, uh as a owner of an airstrip, even though we have some, some favorable laws, I need insurance. I want to, I want to buy some insurance to protect, you know, my, myself, uh, from the lawsuit. And so I'm scraping around and I couldn't find any insurance that was affordable, except then I saw something connected with this RAF uh, organization. And if you wanted to apply for this, you know, aviation uh, airport insurance, you had to be a member of the RAF. So I go to the RAF website and I start reading up about RAF and I, wow, you know, well, I've never heard of this organization, but look at all the good things they're doing and and they've got you know state liaisons all over the country and well but but nothing here in Alaska and and of course there's that box that you can check as you fill in your application would you like to volunteer and I foolishly checked the box and you know then people are calling and saying well what do you, what do you really want to do Al and and uh, I was very impressed I, I have to say with the interviewing process uh, that RAF uh, uses to, you know, maybe weed out some riffraff. You, you don't want just anybody with a loud mouth uh, speaking for any organization. And somehow I, you know, I, I passed the test and uh, we've been interacting. Uh, gosh, I, I, I can't even tell you when I became a, a, a liaison. Somewhere it's in the records, but um you know, we've been interacting with the National Park Service. We've been interacting with the state of Alaska. Uh, we've been 
uh, interacting with individuals who have questions uh, here in Alaska. And by the way, at the, at the beginning, you mentioned that we had uh, two state liaisons. We now have three. Uh, oh, yeah, um, right. Steph. We've got Steph. <laughs> Steph Goza recently uh, joined up as the third Alaska liaison. So we've got Jeff DeFriest down in uh, Southeast in Ketchikan, and Steph and I here in South Central. And gosh, you know, we've got a lot of horsepower now. Uh, yeah. With, yeah, uh, a lot of people don't realize, uh, you know, and, and obviously early on in the RAF, and this became um, obvious, but being a national organization gives you a lot more leverage than being, you know, just a state organization, right? Because exactly. the, the national organizations you deal with usually overlap state boundaries. So, you know, w when you speak to them on national terms, then, then you're kind of on a common platform. <laughs> You know, right. yeah, we, uh, you know, we've we've been able to interact with the Park Service, I I think, in part because you know we've built a, uh, you know, personal relationships with the with the players here, locally. But in part, you know, the opening the door was, oh well, this is not just you know a, a local group of bandits from Alaska look, they've got an organization and they've actually got a track record with federal agencies. And so, you know, that, that was really important to establish a rapport. And, uh, you know, we've got, we've got activities going on with the U.S. Forest Service now. Um, obviously, Child Glacier is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a magical thing. And um, I was just looking at, at some of the grant paperwork this morning which is not my favorite part of, of the project, but, uh, but a necessary part. And got, we, we've been, uh, we, we've, we've got, you know, just an amazing uh, resource there. And uh, yeah, it's fun to, fun to see it come together. You know, um, we're gonna talk about Child's Glacier next, but I was just gonna let you know that um, um, the US Forest Service invited us to their booth to be a, a part of their booth at uh, Oshkosh this year, Adventure oh, yes. 23. And, uh, and the backdrop we're going to use is the same one you used of the from the Chuga National Forest of, of Child's Glacier, which is, oh. if anybody hasn't seen that, you gotta go to our website and look for that because it's stunning. It's absolutely yeah. stunning. Oh man. Well, I mean, when, uh, and, and by the way, that was Steph Goza's photo, that fall photo with the, with the old ancient 1910 bridge in the foreground and yeah. our airstrip that we cleared out. And then this glacier in the back. I mean, there's, there's only one place in the world that looks like that. And, uh, yeah, yeah she, ca she captured it perfectly. And, uh, so yeah, if that back backdrop is, is there, uh, I just regret, I'm not going to be at Oshkosh to go point out things yeah. in the photo. Uh, you could stand there and say, I did that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tell, no, tell everybody the history, though, of of that park or that space in the Chuka National Forest. Yeah. Okay. Interesting, right? Well, I mean, uh, it's got great history. There's all all sorts of, uh, you know, biology that's that's going on there and, and geography. But maybe maybe I'll, I'd start with the history because, you know, that's why that bridge is, is there, you know, back before Anchorage, this big city that where everybody lives, back before Anchorage was established, 
they were building this railroad from Tidewater, from Cordova, up the Copper River uh, to Kennecott, where there was this very rich copper deposit. So, you know, people have been exploring and, and uh, you know, and looking for mineral wealth for, you know, 10 years or so. And to make a long story short, um, you know, some this, this big syndicate of East Coast money uh, decided that they were going to build a railroad uh, from coastal Alaska up through this amazing place and, and then tap the copper. And they did, and it was a grand success. They made a lot of money. Um, and so where this bridge is, this in the photo is a pinch point uh, from the east and the west. Uh, these massive glaciers are coming in. Miles Glacier is coming in from the east. Uh, Child's Glacier is coming in from the west. And of course, they're not tidal now, right? They're, they're pinching up against a river. And uh, Miles is, you know, today, uh, well away from the river. It, it builds kind of a, a lake there. But Child's is, is and always has been about a quarter mile away from this bridge. Um, and this was the only place to, to, to build the, the railroad. And, you know, it, uh, it, it, it's, uh, they had, you know, there's books been written just about the, the railroad and the building of that bridge. Um, it almost got crushed the the spring uh, with with the ice getting pushed downriver the the wooden false works that they had to to uh, erect the steel um, you know it's a it's a great story so in 1910 is when they completed this bridge and then they ran the railroad for 30 up to 1938 and then it was all abandoned the bridge is uh, called the million dollar bridge right a million dollar bridge for the million dollars it took in 1910 uh money yeah Whoa. uh so yeah, yeah uh in, in incredible expense and uh but but well worth it for them all right so time passes uh the rails come up because the the railroad's been abandoned um, the state of Alaska uses the uh, the old railroad grade as a road now out from Cordova, out to the Million Dollar Bridge. Um, you know, it, it's it's traveled by locals. There's not really much on the north side because, well, that's all growing up into alders. But uh, from 1910 through, um, well, until very recently, uh, if you went to Cordova or if you lived in Cordova, one of the one of the cool things to do would be to drive out to the end of, end of the road, mile fifty two, and and picnic camp, uh, and look at this massive glacier in the summertime calving into the river. That's only a quarter mile wide, right? It's not like your tidewater glaciers where you bob around off, you know, three or four miles off the off the face of the glacier. It's right there, and uh, so. Um, so how did I learn about it? Well, um, I'm a I'm a kid. Remember growing up and going to high school upstream on the Copper River, and people occasionally talk about this this village down at the at the outlet, Cordova, and and the Million Dollar Bridge. So, so I uh, I had the good fortune to be hired by a state fishing game uh, fish biologist, Ken Roberson, uh, as I got done with with high school. 
looked around and said, well, maybe Al Clayton's worth something. I'll hire him as a summer technician. And so for every summer while I was going off to college, I would work for Ken Roberson on different parts of the Copper River watershed. Uh, and one of those parts was a sonar station to count the fish escaping upriver on the copper to manage, you know, the fishery. And it was located at the um, at the southern base of this million dollar bridge. So the fishing game had a had a shack there, and a and we go in. Uh, it, it's actually a kind of a cool. Uh, cool system this sonar and we'd watch and we'd count fish as they count came up and and everybody be happy because the fish were escaping and and we had another another great run but so i spent uh part of two summers at the base of this glacier um working and playing and listening to it growl and calve and my i remember one day my mom came to visit to check to see if i was doing all right we drove out still alive yeah yeah and uh, I say, man, you know, it's it's July and uh, it's a hot day. It might be a good day for a big, big chunk of the ice to fall, Mom. And let's go look. And so we we went and parked for a while and we we're in the car and nothing's going on and nothing's going on. There's a little pop and a crack. And, and then all of a sudden, a monstrous chunk of ice falls into the, the river. It's shoot, shooting a wave across the river at us. And now my mom is really excited and wants to leave and so we did it because i always listen to my mom yeah and, uh there at today at the campground uh there are are warning signs that talk about don't don't turn your back to the glacier and and some people have actually been injured uh with these waves that will come crashing across um you away right like a tsunami <laughs> exactly yeah so it's a Great dynamic place, and you got to have your wits about me. Um, anyway, that's that's how I learned about it as a as a fish tech um, uh, while I was going to going to college. And um, all right, so more time passes, and uh, I want to say about six or seven years ago, you know, the, the Copper River downstream from this pinch point becomes very braided. There's many channels you know it's a it's a glacial silt uh silt machine uh and the the more modern day highway bridges the the footings on two of these bridges that had been in place for 30 years because of the changing course of the river got washed away that that you know you it wasn't news anywhere else in the world but um because well there's only the only thing up there is the is Miles Glacier and Childs Glacier and the the bridge, well and a and a five million dollar U.S. Forest Service campground which which now you can't get to because the road is washed out. Yeah, and it was a beautiful one, right? I mean, this was deluxe. It, it and it still is, and yes. uh, <laughs> so. So yeah, all the people in Cordova, and, and of course over the years, you know, I think it's a special place. I'd take visitors over there, and and now all of a sudden, the only way to get there is in a in a really powerful uh, jet boat or rafting uh, from upstream, and you could you take a couple days to raft down the river and then camp out, and then you got to keep on going, and and so it was just a shame uh, that no one really had access to this thing uh, and there was no way to replace the bridges 
Well, millions and millions of dollars, and the state doesn't have the millions, and you know, people talk about it. Well, when are they going to replace those bridges? And it was like, well, maybe in you know, twenty seventy or something. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, I, I guess I, I, I will claim uh, that it was my idea. Somebody else might might say something differently, but. Um, there's this roadbed on both sides of the of the million dollar bridge now that no vehicles are traveling on and it's growing up to alders and I, well, I said to the local DOT people, man, you know, if if nobody's going to drive on that, can't we, you know, get in a work party and cut some of the brush away so it'd be safe to land on the roadbed? And, you know, I didn't get resistance. And then, so that was the state of Alaska DOT. Um, and then we we asked of other locals, you know, are, would this be a good thing? And there wasn't resistance. And then I-, I talked, yeah, Nobody can get up there anyway, that's, other than a few, you know, jet boaters that are around, right? Right. Uh, and, and we talked, well, we miss going out to the glacier. And, and of course, you, the sonar site site is still there, and so it's it's more dangerous now to get the fish and game guys out there to run the sonar station more more costly. It's it's just a mess. Um, and then finally, I talked with somebody with the with the Forest Service, and they want to be out there too. It's part of their domain. And okay, it was no longer well. There's no resistance. The Forest Service kind of said that's a great idea. Let's <laughs> let's figure out. Let's figure out how to uh, make an airstrip out there. Um, and there was, uh, even before RAF raised its hand and said, hey, we want to have a major part in, in making this accessible again, uh, uh, there was a sketchy, I will say, a sketchy little cub strip that brave souls would fly in and, and you know, work with a chainsaw a little bit to keep it from you know completely closing down and um so there there were a few pilots that were brave enough not me uh but a few pilots that were brave enough to land there um before ref actually got involved and did a, a big bunch of work last summer um and the work that we got done uh was funded through a, a grant this grant that we talked about and got fifty thousand dollars uh, to do the hard work of cutting alders and brush and making the wings, you know, the, the, the space, uh, you know, accessible, maybe for a beaver at the end of this, this year. Last summer in, in July, after a lot of work was done, I was comfortable landing there in my 170. Uh, and, you know, we, there's been 180s and other uh, airplanes. And of course, cubs are, are are, are perfect uh, to get in and out of there but um so so yeah last summer was the big work work session we we hired uh, Alaska trails uh it's a it's a nonprofit actually it does a lot of work to uh, maintain recreational trails all over the uh, the state uh, but they had a team of four um hard-working young people that you know slogged away in the rain and the and the wind and and the occasional nice day too and very very pleasant uh, folks uh, there on the ground we've got uh, the in in some of our articles we've got a a uh, 
uh, photo of Andy Levins is, was his name. Andy was the crew lead there, and he's holding up the RAF uh, supports this airstrip sign. And uh, yeah, he and his team did a great job. I understand he's he's now hired by the U.S. Forest Service. Um, so he's, you know, that, that summer work is, is uh, turned into a career for him. And he's he, he's going to be on the ground there this summer doing more work uh, at at the at Child's Glacier Campground and the airstrip. So, um, so what was what was it that they did at the campground? Because oh, nature yeah. was starting to take the campground back, right? Exactly. Uh, some of the, I mean, they they did a great job by the time I got there in in mid July uh, of clearing out brush that had grown up right around the pavilion there's a you know there's out outhouses pavilion um there's a an elevated viewing platform and of course after you know five or six years of neglect you you couldn't see the glacier and um so they'd knock down a bunch of the newly grown alders right in front of uh right right in the center of the of the campground uh i want to say they spent just as much time or more uh, cleaning up and brushing out the campground as they did working on the on the airstrip, and I think you know they they got a part of it done last summer, and the same effort is underway this summer. Um, but yeah, you go uh, even even last year, you land at the airstrip, you walk over, or we've got some bicycles that RAF has placed there. Um, you go over, and uh, there's there's all the facilities that you would need for a, a group of 30 people to have a, yeah, you know, a big picnic in the, in the pavilion. You could have a wedding there, you know, if you're ambitious enough. Um, but yeah, it's, it's usable again and it's accessible again. Uh, yeah. So it's a great. And, and what about the calving of the glacier? Is it still fairly active? I mean, I'm assuming. It is. Well, I mean, uh, I'm looking around right now. We've had a very cool summer, right? So the most active uh, time for any uh, any of our glaciers is on a hot summer day, um, but uh, or after a series of hot summer days, it just gets a little more slippery and uh, glacial you know, all will advance. But yes, last summer, uh, the the crew of four talked about a particular face, a part of the face of the glacier, and called it the Super Bowl. Because uh, that was that was the area that had had dropped back the farthest during the time that they had been there, uh, so yeah, very active uh, last summer. I, I expect it to be the same this summer. Uh, so yeah, the chance of you know, over if you went there for a weekend uh, and spent a little time, you you get a great show. Yeah. So now wait a minute. Is it true? This 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 could be this, <laughs> this could just be rumor that has passed around. Is it true that if you get a big enough calve, it actually throws the Copper River salmon up on the bank and you just walk down and grab dinner? I I, I was hoping you're going to ask that question. And um and I cannot say that I witnessed that. Um I I have spread that rumor and <laughs> I think it's a good story. I have heard that rumor from other people, other locals. Uh, but I'm not sure if it's really reliable. But but let's I mean uh, it, it makes perfect sense uh, that because <laughs> the 
you know, the, I, I know from watching these salmon from the sonar that they're coming up right next to the beach, right? They're, yeah. they're not out there in the middle of the, of the river. Yeah. And uh, so at the right time, if you had the, the right surf uh, and you were there with a the, with the dip net, I believe you could <laughs> pick the fish up off the beach. If you were quick. <laughs> if you were quick. <laughs> and you don't get washed away. Right. Well, it's, it's a dance there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You're dancing with the glacier and the tsunami. So the um, the logistics are are still kind of difficult, right? Because you're landing on the opposite side of the river, and then you basically what's the distance from the airstrip over to the campground? Yeah, it it's a it's a quarter mile, uh, so not it's not bad. Um, and it's and it's uh, you know it's a it's a great. Uh, place to walk around you know you, you if you uh uh you, you know this the secret spot that we plan to keep the bicycles is at the north end of the bridge we um uh i they, they were all over at the mostly over at the uh at the campground last summer um and so i walked when i was there i walked over and and there the, the team was using our our bikes and that was great but we want to eventually have them suspended underneath the north end of the bridge on a pulley system so the bears don't chew on them, right? <laughs> and so you land your airplane. It's only it's a you know, two hundred yards to to the uh, end of the airstrip. You go over there, you un, uh, undo the bicycle, you bike back and put your backpack on, and then bike back and forth with uh, you know light light gear. Um, last year, the, the forest service had a four wheeler with a trailer, um, you know, so they, they hauled that up in a, in a powerful jet boat and they got, um, I'm sure the same system this year. Um, and so who knows? I mean, eventually if, if I'm persuasive enough, maybe the RAF would, would, uh, fund a, a little shed or something. And we could we could store a four wheeler there for uh, use by pilots, um, and it, it, you know just make it more accessible and a little easier to get around. That's uh, it's much more complicated than bicycles, but um, and and so right now bicycles are a good good way to get back and forth. Yeah. So how long is the airstrip? So once you cleared it, well, maybe how long was it when the when the brave Super Cub drivers were using it, and how long yeah. is it now? Right. Uh, so the Forest Service paid for a survey uh, and somewhere I've got that. It's not worth digging it up. But I want to say that the, uh, the from end to end, the, the trees have been trimmed back to about 1,800 feet. So you've got a useful landing area that I think is, you know, safe for uh Cessnas and whatnot almost uh, sea level, right sorry almost sea level oh it's almost sea level yeah so the altitude's not a problem yeah um it's uh you know the the, the really safe landing area is 1100 feet but um and and why why is that well you want to get stopped in 1100 feet because there's a, a pile of rocks on the on the one side as long as you're going slow at the end of uh, 1,100 feet, you've got another 400 feet to roll out. It's got a little bit of a dog leg then. 
Um, so, you know, uh, it's, it's not as challenging today. I want to say before, before our work, it was a 500 foot long strip. Yeah. 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 So you added with, about 1500 feet to it. Yeah. Well, and with, with close in tree hazards, uh, on, on both sides of your wings. So, okay. um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, the safety and utility of the strip today is is you know magic compared to what we had at the beginning of last year and uh this year the the focus is you know outside of the the roadbed um there there still were uh, hazardous brush uh if you got your wheel caught on one side or the other it'd pull you over into into the brush uh so that's that's the focus now is to knock down the stuff on both edges of the roadbed out for a comfortable distance. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. So, you know, it was impressive, the volunteers that you got to join in on this too. Like, um, I remember the photo of the guy who was an A&P and he was trying to get the old dilapidated bulldozer going to try to remove the rock pile. Yeah, yeah, that that effort failed. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, there's there you go. Uh, um, so Troy Terrell, I want to mention Troy. Troy is the guy. Uh, he's a resident of Cordova. He's a RAF supporter. And, you know, I, here I am in Anchorage. It's so a little bit hard for me to get there, but that's his, that's his home. And he's kind of retired now. So he's really adopted this airstrip, Troy. We call him the, uh, the manager of Childs Glacier International Airport. <laughs> and uh, so that was Troy's mechanic. He, you know, he twists an arm here and he twists a, a leg there and he's got a buddy with a jet boat and that'll run up there and burn their gas and and take a day out of their life to go and try to, uh, you know, uh, get, get the equipment going to push the rock pile around. And, uh, you know, uh, he's he, uh, he just, Troy just sent me a, a couple days ago a photo from his uh, with his trailer all loaded up with brush cutter and the bicycles and everything. It was just yesterday, actually July uh, July sixth, that the Alaska uh, Trails team was transported by our with with our money uh, up there by on a powerful jet boat, and so they're up there uh, just beginning their work yesterday. And I, th I think Troy was going to join them and, you know, spend spend a week of his time, uh, you know, helping out and, and uh, make making it all work. I love it. Do you know of people that have used it? Have people used it? Oh, yes. Um, camping? Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've got, you know, of course, a, a variety of different aviation groups that I converse with. And I've got, you know, a. Uh, Alaska airline pilots who fly their own, you know, private airplanes. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to Child's Al and, and, oh, and, you know, sometimes I hear back and, oh, it was great or, oh, the bugs were bad or, or yeah, it was perfect day. And we, we had a great time, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're, it's getting used and uh, be, uh, be. I love it. I love it. So, you know, for, or especially other other state liaisons like yourself. Um, what inspiration could you give them about how, I mean, obviously you knew something about this place, but most people do know something about some place, you know? 
it's like, but that first step, as they always say, the first step of any trip is the hardest, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I guess, you know, patience and persistence is uh, is the key to all these things, right? Um, you know, we're all volunteers and, and you know, there's only so many hours in the day. And so you, you've got to, you, you know, identify maybe the, the place or the event or the project that you think is is going to appeal to a, a group of volunteers um, and really provide a benefit. Uh, and so we've, you know, I've, I, I get an endless stream of, of email, not endless, but there's a abundant yeah. e email with an idea. Okay. Uh, you know, here's my favorite my favorite little airstrip over here or that uh, is neglected and wouldn't it be great for RAF to adopt this airstrip and, and I say well yeah it would be great but why why would we why would we adopt that particular airport and because you know we we do have a mission right we we want to we we want to uh, we want to make available extraordinary places for people to have fun yeah. and you know some somebody's uh, favorite little strip might be really important to them uh but maybe not fit in big picture and we've only got so many resources and so many hours of volunteer effort so yeah. uh, selection of the mission is important and then once you've figured out that all right this really deserves some attention uh my experience is it it takes longer to work with any of these federal or state agencies than you would imagine it it should or could i mean there's there's a lot of wonderful people that work in in all of these government agencies but i mean they have their processes and they've got to talk with three or four people up the line you know so you 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 got to keep knocking on the door yeah. and saying you know i'm here to help uh yeah. i want to i want to make our community our state a better place um, I'm, I'm not asking for money. I'm asking for maybe permission or a, authority to go and do something in your space. And, you know, some, some agencies are easier to work with than others. Uh, we've, we've just been very fortunate to have uh, good, good people, good individuals, uh, with, with, especially with the forest service and the park service here. Um, so, yeah. yeah yeah well you're good people too al <laughs> I, and i know they see that i know they see that sincerity you know yeah. well we we have done some good work for them and uh you know except that you you, you know that we have this national organization with credibility i don't know if anybody would would have pulled this off at child's glacier for example it's it's a it's a big undertaking a lot of moving parts yeah. Uh, but the end result, man, is uh, is fabulous. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Al, I want to thank you for the time. I know that you're a busy guy. <laughs> we we tried several times to try to get this together. I just really appreciate you spending the time. Yeah, well, uh, Bill, uh, we we I hope I didn't go down too many rabbit trails, uh, but uh, it it is a a really, uh, really an amazing project that we've got going up here. I hope uh, 
people who listen are in, encouraged to come up and see it for themselves. And and of course, if if they are making a, a plan to come to Alaska, give me a shout, send me an email, give me a call, and because I've got ideas about other spectacular places you might want to visit in your airplane if you uh, if you yeah. are fortunate yeah. enough to make a trip to Alaska. This Child's Glacier is, uh, I think I looked, it was 170 miles, basically southeast of Anchorage, right? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And and how far is it from Cordova? Cordova is between Anchorage and Child's Glacier. Yeah, so it's uh, it's about 50 miles, 45 miles by air from... So, uh, so Cordova would be your, your closest launch point, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's two, uh, there's two airstrips in Cordova. One's a little uh, gravel strip. It's, uh, I want to say it's 2,200 feet long, uh, right in town. So, and, and then the, uh, the, the airstrip uh, that the jets land in is 12 miles out the road. So if you're, if you're, you know, camping out in your Cessna and you're flying up from, uh, from wherever uh, in uh, Bozeman, Montana, uh, you, you, you got to, make your way through the mountains, uh, but, you know, get some fuel in Anchorage, um, pop over, can't plan, plan to land at the town strip in Cordova, and then you can walk in and, and find a place to sleep, uh, plan to spend, you know, a week, and then you, you, you're uh, 40, 45 miles out to the, the Child's Glacier Strip from Cordova. Yeah, yeah, 20 plus minutes. Awesome. Yep. 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 I love it. All right, Al. Thank you so much. Great to be with you, Bill. Thanks for the opportunity.